Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to this. It is the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously. I'm JB, alone in a dungeon. Well, not quite alone. Well, alone in a dungeon with Phil, I guess. So, hello, Phil. Hello, JB. Uh, only us two today. Only us faithful two, because, uh, of course, we've been let down by Tim. Well, when you say let down, um, there's some let down by Tim. We've let Tim down a little bit by not checking our times perfectly and being two minutes later than we should have been. Yes, we were a bit late. Uh, which meant that... So, Tim... It has been working the Exeter-Northampton game in Exeter. He needs to be in Manchester for tomorrow morning. So he was planning on dialing in immediately after finishing interviewing um, Chris Boyd and Stuart Hogg and Jack Vermeulen and all the rest of those stars. Doing a grand job as well. Some very good questions about Stuart Hogg's lid. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, he asked Stuart Hogg about Jack Knowles' lid. Uh, Pertinent. good. Yes. Cutting. But... He was supposed to be finding a service station somewhere between Exeter and here to dial into us to and do this podcast. Because he's because on Friday he lost his phone because he had his. So how how does one drive a car for six hours not checking their tweets and WhatsApp? <laughs> I'll never understand that. <laughs> uh, for someone who's got to drive for a few hours with you I mean, next a... week, I'm a bit worried about that <laughs> by that statement. Yeah, so he's lost his phone. We don't know how it happened. Probably running away from bouncers or. You know, not paying sex workers again. We don't know, do we? We don't <laughs> who, know. Who knows? Who knows how how it happened? We could that, only possibly speculate. Yeah, reckless speculation. But I'm sure it's neither, neither of those two things. Um, someone else that lost something, Leinster. But before we talk about them, let's talk about where you can find us. You can find us on uh, on Twitter at Ruby Podcast, me at Jay Beardmore, Tim at Cocker, and Phil will will be lurking somewhere. So Always. yeah, I think we should really start with the Saracens game, shouldn't we? Uh, well. Is there any other place to to start? I mean, it, before the game, or before the weekend, we kind of knew that this was potentially going to be the biggest game because of the history. And we, we spoke at length, actually, about the history between these two teams over the last few years on the last last podcast. And we were not disappointed, were we? This, no. ga- this game was unbelievable. And I, I hold my hands up. I got it totally wrong. I, I said on last week's pod, I think 85%. 
chance that Leinster will win. Saracens might sneak it. But, I mean, that first half display against two teams who should be so evenly matched, that first half display was unbelievably good by Saracens. They were totally, totally dominant right across the board, actually. I mean, the scrum was dominant, but at every facet of the game, they were considerably better than Leinster in in, in that first half particularly. Well, I felt what we were watching was Saracens of old. And when I say Saracens of old, what I don't mean is, um, you know, a few, you know, a decade ago or, or, or some such thing. But when they started to become good, they used to play this way, which is hoist up the box kick, get your kick chases right, get all of your basics right, and be very, 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 very physical. As they've progressed, and some might say illegally progressed, well, actually... They did legally progress. They, they definitely legally press, <laughs> yeah. progress in, in the Premiership. In the Premiership. Only yeah. the Premiership, for that matter. Um, they, tended to add, they tended to add more aspects to the game. Well, they didn't have that luxury because so many lads had left, so they had to peel it right back to the very core foundations of what Saracens was built on. I thought it was fascinating to watch. And it's very interesting you say that because the game that this most reminded me of was when Saracens played Claremont about five years ago Ooh, yeah. in, the, in the semi-final and Jacques Berger made one million tackles and Saracens didn't have any of the ball. They gave the ball back to Claremont, let Claremont play, let Claremont run themselves into the ground and then take it off them and score. Yeah. And, and it was this was reminiscent of that. And Leinster, I feel, they fell into that trap because well, Leinster... So Saracens were definitely kicking a, a huge amount, but Leinster... They almost seemed reluctant to kick, yeah. and they kept trying to run it. And admittedly, um, for the two tries in the second half, it did work. But for the majority of the game, Saracens just swallowed up all the pressure and then came back at them. It's fair to say, Saracens looked in the first half more comfortable without the ball. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's that, where they were going to get their penalties from. That's where they're going to get their points from. Um, and... Yeah, you're right. That's exactly exactly what Leinster did. They just ran at them over and over again, and Saracens were more than happy to beat them up. And there was there was no, numerous times, particularly in that first half, and right towards the end of the second half, when Leinster had uh, little other option. To be fair, but right for most of that first half, where even around the halfway line, Leinster were playing four, five, six phases. It's going nowhere, and you're expecting either the box kick or Sexton to dink it into the corner. Yeah, they and didn't. It, and it just didn't come, and it didn't come. And I wonder... So part of me thought that um, Leinster were maybe unprepared or not expecting Saracens to, to run that game plan. And part of me thought, were Leinster Come trying to... Come avoid- were- <laughs> Substantially closer to the mic, please. I can't get any closer to this mic, JB. OK, fine. Stay there. <laughs> um, part of me thought, or part of me wondered whether... Leinster were concerned about the quality of the um, Saracens' back three, or really, I should say, back four, because a lot of the time, Goode was also defending deeply. Yeah. So you've got Goode, who is, well, last year he was um, the best player in Europe. Yep. One of the best players, uh, best fullbacks for the last 10 years. You've got Elliot Daly, England's fullback, and you've got Maitland and Lewington, who are very good under the high ball. Really? Lewington in particular? Had a great game. I mean, you know a lot about players from watching them play week in, week out. And I didn't realise Lewington was so good in the air. Now, whether he's only good when he's chasing something down, or 
if it's a little bit more of a complete game than that, I, I, I don't know. The only thing which surprised me as well is I thought they would go to the air and I thought they would test out Llama and I thought they would test out the young lad on the other wing. Yeah, Keenan. Keenan. I did not think they would go after James Lowe and that's exactly what they did. Yeah, yeah. They, the, the game plan was very interesting for Saracens and it's very disappointing that Leinster didn't react and change things up yeah. sooner. I guess you could only describe the Saracens game plan as contain and deny. So when they had the ball, they were nicely contained until they gave away a, gave away a penalty in Leinster's case. Uh, and then, you know, when they needed the ball, Saracens would have it and they would deny Leinster. I would say Saracens never looked close to scoring in, in, in the first half until they actually scored. Until that try. Well, well they, they didn't really try to. They didn't want to. No. As, as soon as they got into the Leinster 22, right from the start, they started playing one-out rugby. And seek the pe- it really and, was one-out rugby. And seek the penalty. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's such a remarkable thing to watch, actually, because the Leinster defence is so ferocious and they're so good to want to play into the teeth of that. Yeah. But that's exactly what they did. They did, and they massively fronted up. Yeah. And then the, other, the other thing that was in Saracen's favour was the scrum. And oh. Vincent Cock and... Uh, well, the, the, the whole pack, but Cock and, and Mako... Just did a number. I tell you what, that they had that three minutes, or is it six minutes? I'm not even sure. Three minutes for six points, where they win the scrum. Elliot Daly, long range, boom, over it goes. Scrum again, Elliot Daly. I mean, I thought if you can just repeat this over and over again, <laughs> I mean, it'd just be great. Just over and over again. Um, the other interesting dynamic on this, and I thought it was fascinating, was Saracens have no bench. They have 15 fit players. Yeah, and you know, not to be. Too derogatory about the lads that came on because you know they did a good job, particularly Barrington. Thought Callum Clark, if he could get even close to his best, he'd be a cracking Saracens player. Um, they did okay when they got on, but they're not the bench that Leinster had. Yeah, and not I, not even close. And I thought the most impressive part was, of this was not the the opening salvo where they were kicking their goals and winning the penalties, as impressive as that was. It was when Leinster forced them to use their bench bench early, knowing then that when Leinster's bench comes on, they could be in all all sorts of trouble. For Vincent Cox to go and play 80 minutes is quite fantastic. And and Jamie George and Maru Toji. <sighs> and Maru, Maru Toji was just unbelievable. He, it, turn, he... I mean, he. I think he got away with a few. Um, more, really did, didn't he? More than a few. But he's that streetwise. Yeah. That, I guess it's one of those things, like, the refs are told before the game, if you want our game to grow... You can't ping Mario Toji. If he does something really good, if you think it's illegal, just let it go because he's our meal ticket. <laughs> but he was, I mean, the one that um, epitomised it, and I remember watching it in game and I've seen it back. I think Murray Kinsella um, tweeted it. And it's with three minutes to go, he tackles uh, he tackles James Ryan. Um, Kalen Doris comes then to either pick up or clear out and he ends up picking him up, uh, picking the ball up. Itoji's already on his feet. He tackles him, and it's then he amazing. brings. Then four other players have to come in to secure the ball, and it's just Mario Itoji. Mario Itoji, in in making two tackles, He's a joke. Two tackles and attacking two rooks sucks in six Leinster players he just should. to secure the ball on, so, against Maro. So not only is he just a a joke because he's so good. I mean, I, I was thinking, is he the best player on the planet? And I don't think he is, purely for the fact that I don't know who I compare him to. Like, he doesn't... He's not... There are probably a second rows out there who are better at clearing rocks. But 
everything he does is so unusual. He's a completely unique player. How many second rows burst out the line and intercept the pass? And uh, on your own line, yeah, with, he, when you're absorbing that much pressure, he's which just, was which was I like the uh, the phrasing comms was borderline. Oh on, yeah, on that one. That's a yellow card or it's an interception, but there's nothing in between, <laughs> is there? I. I'm surprised they didn't go back and look at that a little bit. And just even, yeah. even in, um, even not the referee, but just, I've, I felt like they didn't dwell in it, um, on it on the, the programme, on TV. They just kind of moved on quite quickly. Do you mean like, like the French um, broadcasters do? Yes. Can we see a replay of that? Sorry, the, the, no, the replay no. track isn't working. The button. Stuck, stuck. <laughs> I've got to say, if I was a Leinster fan, I'd feel slightly aggrieved at that. There was a few, yeah. But... I don't think you could feel aggrieved overall because I think Saracens, they were the better team for 60 minutes. Yeah. Leinster had the, the good, very good opening to the second half. Um, besides that, Saracens were, in that first half, they were so far ahead of Leinster. They really were. I, I don't want to sound like a stuck record here. However, is it the case that the Pro 14 just doesn't prepare these teams well enough? Because as far as I can see, I mean, I'm looking at these two sides that they put out the Leinster side is far superior they didn't have as you know they didn't have the tactics of uh, Saracens sure but I would argue they probably didn't they probably didn't need to they probably should have been able to do this regardless and I just wonder if the Pro 14 when you canter to an undefeated season that isn't a sign of greatness it's a sign of weakness of, of your league when you easily turn over your opponents with your reserve fly half in the final that's not a sign of strength yeah, I mean, there are there are definite problems with the Pro 14. Mm. Um, but th- there are also benefits that has led Leinster to win Europe four times. It's that, tr- that's, yeah. that's being, some of the advantages of it are, I mean, Leinster could rest players in a Pro 14 final and still cancer to it, yeah, which meant know, that players were fresh. To be fair, to be fair, I think if everything was even... I think Leinster would have won this. And I think the reason that... Well, the reason Saracens were able to win it well, f- for exactly the same reasons that Leinster get the benefit from the Pro 14, which was they're not going to get relegated. That's, yeah, yeah. They could, they could concentrate purely... Well, they're, they're, already, they're not worried about relegation. Yeah, yeah they're not worried because about they're already relegated. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> uh, a small but important point. Um they, yeah, they could literally work towards that game. They had basically the same advantages as Leinster. Now, this Saracens team, should they have had the threat of relegation hanging over them, they would have got stuffed because you know they'd still lost all their players. Everyone would have would have had to, to leave. That was a Negroni tray uh, jingling. Sorry, <laughs> you heard that. Yeah, they're stuffed to play hard, stuffed to avoid relegation. And they wouldn't be able to put out their only 15 players to, that could beat Leinster. So I do think with the Pro 14, there is an argument to say that it doesn't sharpen the teams, it doesn't harden them, because this Leinster team is exceptional. But it's also the reason the Leinster team can, can be so great. Yeah, because you can manage your players. Yeah, I think it's a case of the management just got to get this right and maybe they got it wrong. Yeah, and I, I do... I, going into this game, I was surprised, actually, that um, Leinster played it at the Aviva. And the, the reason why I say that is because, so Saracens know all the Saracens player knows, players know the Aviva well, yeah, because they've played there for Saracens on numerous occasions and for England on numerous occasions. Yeah, if it was at the RDS, the only player of the, in that Saracens squad who's probably played at the RDS before would be Tim Swinson. Swinners, Swinners, and I just wonder if 
because there's no crowds, what's the point in playing in a uh, 60,000 or 70,000 seat stadium compared to a 20,000 seat stadium? There is no advantage from doing that. So, I, I, I mean, I know that didn't change the game, but I'm just surprised on Lancaster's decision for that. I'm glad you brought up Swinson. Uh, a friend of ours um, was pointing out that Tim Swinson's employment opportunities might not have might not have been as numerous as he was hoping for. Yeah, and was about to call time on what I think has been a tremendous career. Scotland uh, international should have gone to last Lions tour, but we don't need to talk about that. Um, and also an absolute key cog in that Glasgow rebuild, a very successful re- rebuild to Pro fourteen tight Pro fourteen, yeah, Pro fourteen titles, so on and so forth. Um, it kind of reminded me a little bit, although they're very different players, of the career of Trevor Brennan. So Trevor Brennan was at Leinster, was about to sign for Oral because that's the only option available to, to him. And then Toulouse came in and he went and won, won European Cups, maybe even multiple European Cups. Tim Swinson finds himself in Saracens. Now, he's not going to get multiple European Cups, but he's in with a fighting shout of this one. Of one. And then he can get a uh, Green King IPA Championship. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, it does look likely that Saracens are going to finish top three now in the championship. Yeah, top three looks likely. Yeah. Um, another thing uh, as well, um, apparently this Saracens team had been known for quite a few weeks. They knew exactly the team that they, they were going to put out. Alex, Alex Good apparently knew that he was going to be 10 for weeks and weeks before the game, uh, Bef- game came about. Before the Farrell... Sorry, as soon as Farrell. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was sorry. Say. Yeah, yeah, not, not included. I mean, what we learned about this game is Saracens are wasting, what, 600k of salary cap on Owen Farrell? <laughs> Who needs him? Who needs him? Who needs him? You know, if, if they'd realised this, they'd never be in the in the bother that they are in the first place. Because <laughs> um, Good, so he had he did have a very good game, played a simple game plan. I loved his try, yeah. which, which was made by Duncan Taylor. That was wonderful, wasn't it? It was brilliant. And it was one of the few times they actually played any rugby in that first yeah. half. And I tell you what Good has, which Farrell doesn't, and I don't think this should be a long-term swap, but he does have some lovely feet. He's so yeah, agile. He's yeah. maybe not the quickest. Well, he's not the quickest. But it's his agility. Yeah. He, he, can, he can turn and then accelerate, mm. which, which was very important for that try. Yeah. And, and the, the dummy on that try to hold, I think it was Lama who just held outside with that audacious dummy and that's all that Goo needed he's yeah. in uh, I, I liked the young lad from Leinster Ryan Bard is it Bird? the guy that came on the second row was it Ryan on. it might not even be Ryan yeah Baird Bard Bard I think he's got a huge future tell yeah. you what they, they can develop those two second rows I mean James Ryan is already class Probably he's, he's, already, gonna... he's already, already fairly good James Ryan fairly good he'll undoubtedly be partnering Itoji and the Lions. I, I think so, yeah. It's not a bad pairing, is it? It's very good. That, that uh, bed, I'm sure he's the lad who scored a try from like 50 metres out or maybe even more. I think you're right because he was saying in comms that he runs well. Yeah. Um, That's very impressive with his 20. work. Yeah, he did well when he came on, didn't he? Yeah. I, hmm. I wonder if that Itoji uh, Ryan combo will be big enough. I mean, they're certainly athletic enough. Will they be big enough to face up South Africa? Ryan is a big bloke. Yeah, but does he does he play like a big bloke? Does he play like Etzebeth? Uh I'm not sure anyone plays like Etzebeth. Does he play like Lude? Or yeah, Mostart, I, I, or... I, I think uh, I think Ryan is a, a very big physical bloke. 
Mm. Um, it's his physicality that, that gets me. Or Snayman. Yeah. I mean, these are these are fairly physical blokes. Yeah. Mm, decent physicality. Mm. Now, the downside to this win, I believe, is that I do think this was the final hurrah. It felt like the last dance, and it was even mentioned a few times before. Yeah. And it's in a six-day turnaround or seven-day turnaround. Can they... I don't think they can... I really... Sorry, I, I thought that Tim's dialing in now, but he's not. Um, not yet. He might be. Yeah, I, I can't see how they raise their game enough to beat Racing. It's going to be tough. Yeah, so if these two were the top two European teams in Leinster and Saracens, you'd have to say Racing would be the third. Yeah, and I do wonder if Racing are actually... Um, well, certainly the team that Racing can put out on paper is significantly better, or is better than the team that Saracens can put out next mm. week. Um, and to go away to Claremont and do it as they did, um, play in that game and out-physical them and um, have the boxer tricks as well, the the Finn Russells and the Zebos. Um, they do play nice rugby. They don't play what you would class as stereotypical pr- uh, top 14 rugby. No, but they can, but they can mix it in that. If they, if they have to go toe to toe with an opposition, they can do. Now, but they don't need to. That's not the only way that they can beat someone. Racing have actually beaten Saracens twice already, haven't they? Were they in the same group, same pool? Yeah, they definitely beat them once. I remember that. I remember watching that. It was a very close game. Manu uh, Vinopola played. Ben Earl played, and I remember it being qu- much closer than, pe- than people expected. And I think it was, there was they had the draw against Len, uh, against Munster, oh, then a win yeah. against Munster, and then yeah. they got through by skin their teeth. Yeah, the Saracens were the eighth, the lowest qualified because Leinster, they won every single game. Obviously, we we spoke about it last week, and they the thanks they got was Saracens travelling to them to beat them. Cheers, <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> Who were they expecting though? I mean, from that group, they they must have known it's going to be Racing coming or Saracens coming. Well, no, because it's not necessarily the group, is, oh, is it? it? No, it's not it's, like the World Cup. No, no, no. It's because eight teams qualify from five groups. Oh, yeah. So you seed the teams before you draw them. You, yeah, you seed them. So Saracens were the lowest ranked team to actually qualify. You should be able to be. Do you know what? It should be the other way around. You should be able to pick who you want. <laughs> the the club call the club call from the rendezvous hotel <laughs> in Wakefield. <laughs> That's how it should work. But you know, hey, you can't expect um, the organisers of uh, European rugby to be as great greater minds as we are, or as greater minds as the uh, Super, Super League. Well, more to the point, the Super League, the Super of course, League, full of great minds. Uh, let's put that game, put that game game to bed and jump straight over to your beloved Ulster. Uh, <sighs> difficult one, this wasn't it to watch. It was difficult because, well, other than Cheslin Colby, in the first half, neither team played particularly well. Yeah. I mean, um, Toulouse didn't hugely get going. Um, they, they scored the try. Colby scored after three minutes and then just before half time. Besides that, neither team was great. They both showed some good attacking intent, but they couldn't get the phases together. And so it was a, it was a scrappy first half. But. It always felt. I mean, even even before um, Colby scored that try, just before half time, it always felt like it was going to go um, to lose his way. I don't think the lockdown has been particularly kind to Ulster. 
Well, they, they've come out of it, and I think. Well, hard to say. They played well in the semis to get to the Pro 14 final. They well, they played well in the last 20, 30 minutes of the semi against Edinburgh. They were the the worst yeah. team for most of the game, and they've so, they're kind of out of form, and they've gone against two of the best clubs in the world. Y- yes, you know. definitely. And they've come up massively short. And I have to think very carefully about how I phrase this so not to upset people in Ulster. But it's my view that this is what happens when you get sort of average players. Uh, and they, you know, they're not, they're not good players. They've not got a deep squad. It's an average squad yeah. who are playing well above their potential because of the standard of their coaching. And I think that will get you a long way. You can be the best of the rest. But when it comes to the absolute top level of European competition or Leinster who, again, would class as a top-level European competition. It's just not going to be enough. You can't, you know, to a certain degree, you can't out-coach quality players. Yeah, I, I do agree with that point. Um, and I, but I would, as, a, as an Ulster fan, I would look at this as, based on the quality of the squad, Ulster have overachieved this season. Definitely. They, Definitely. They, they, they've been... They probably by right shouldn't have been in the Pro 14 final um, if you just look at the quality of the squad and they're they're very lucky really to be um, lucky is the wrong word because they've worked incredibly hard for it but the quality their squad is the worst quality squad in the quarterfinals of the right throughout and that's not to say they've not got incredible players Um, Cooney's been brilliant for yeah. the last few years it's not enough is it it's not Stockers the... is a superb player although he had a tough game he really today. did Kurt Sia is an amazing player missing today and sorely missed for his go forward Hendo is an incredible player but all round they struggled <laughs> they sh- and but they have done very well and I'll, I'll take the positive side of it rather than the negative side of it massively because um, un- unless they are willing or and able to spend a lot more money, they're not going to significantly improve that squad for some time. Yeah, completely agree. Well, yeah, completely agree. Uh, then probably not going to spend that much money. The plus side is you do know that you have the coaches and the systems there. Which is the benefit. Yeah, I'd, we- I'd much rather have the coaching and systems in place so that every additional player makes that squad um, better rather than, well, the, the other side of it would be in... A, like a position that Leicester have been for the past few years, where they've got the players, but they have not got anything sitting behind it. Yeah, uh, yeah. You can just basically plug in more and more players. You know, yeah. As, as they as they come available, you know, you've got the coaching coaching to handle it, the processes to handle it. Yeah, they're, they're they're in a pretty good pretty 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 good good place. And the reality of the situation is they have um, they have overachieved. Well, not overachieved. The reality is they can be very happy with their season. Yes, that, that's the way I'm looking at it. But on on to Toulouse because they they are an interesting team I think, so their their backline is just ridiculous, isn't it? And it's, I mean, two maybe two the two most naturally gifted halfbacks that are playing together, um, which is interesting because Romain Entermac was not even considered a halfback for the longest time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I guess that shows his talent and his versatility. Um, Entermac didn't have a particularly great game, I thought. No, he, he struggled to control it in the first half. But if he's having a bad game, Dupont just picks picked up 
And DuPont is... He's ridiculous. <laughs> he's outstanding, isn't he? He's almost as dangerous a runner as Cheslin Colby yeah. when he gets going because he's so fast and he's so strong. So here's an interesting one for you. Um, Johan Uge, and I've said this, said this before, but you know, I have started to notice it subsequent to having this conversation. I was talking to a friend, a friend of the pod, um, fly, international fly half... And uh, all-round great bloke AJ McGinty. Yeah, AJ. Obviously, obviously, they played against um, USA, and I was like, "Oh, um, UJ, um, UJ had uh, uh, had a good game." He's like, "Who's that? Is that is that the massive French winger?" I was like, "Massive French winger." So his point was like, they just found him found as a squad when they played against him. He's incredibly strong. Interesting, and he's actually when you think about it, he isn't small. He's six foot two and hundred kilograms. Yeah, the trail wing is pretty large. Yeah, well, I, I do remember in that game, uh, Alvaretti Racker also had a good game, mm. uh, and he's quite a big, handy French winger, yeah. French Virginia well, winger. I mean, he's six. Uge's six two. You don't think of him as a big play, player. He's about. He's listed as hundred kilograms. Stockdale, who you do think of as a big, big winger, th- is six three and hundred and three kilograms. Yeah, so an inch taller and three kg heavier. Yeah, and Stockers is a big winger, yeah. uh, definitely. But Stockers had a torrid time against Cheslin Colby. Mm. The only, the only guy I thought made well. Did his job very very well in this uh, for Ulster was Stuart McCloskey. I thought he was actually quite quite effective. He he was at times. He did. So I I will say McCloskey was at fault for Colby's second try, and he. Um, oh, Driscoll pointed this out at half time, but he rushed up to I think it was the the Toulouse um, is either the eight or the two who gave the final pass. Because he rushed out of the line, and then as he went to tackle tackle a man who's already released the ball, he kind of pulled out and took himself. He fell on the floor, and he totally took himself out of the game, which meant that um, inside him was Jack McGrath, who had to cover the the twenty meter gap inside Stocker that Colby stepped into. All that was because McCloskey stepped out of the line and then didn't keep himself alive. Had he have just held his line. There was nowhere for for Colby to go. Yeah, and well, I mean, but that, that that's he's one. kind of at fault for Colby's try. But then Colby's ridiculous, and yeah, yeah. You know, had, that, and, had that ball gone to the second best winger in the world, it's probably not finished. Yeah, and even with all that said, even if uh, McCloskey had have held his line beautifully and tracked um, Colby inside Stockers, Colby still could have made them both look like fools even if he was in the perfect position. So there's no guarantee. But it, it was... I, I think it was a, a genuine uh, poor read by McCloskey in that, that specific instance. But he did make some useful yards going forward and he had to be used because you've not got Kurt Seer there. Yeah. Is it, uh, here's a thought I had the other day, right? Uh, riddle, riddle me this. I have many thoughts, but this is just one of those, <laughs> one of those ones, right? Do you know when these teams are playing... In the Premiership, and they're playing their weaker t- weaker side. Yeah, and I'll come on to it's just regarding courtesy, right? And they're playing basically fifteen kids, and they get battered. So you know the, the weaker side plays against. Uh, so Bristol play, puts out a weaker side. Yeah, and you get bat- battered by wasps. Um, where is the tipping point between how many good players you need to be a good team? Because yeah. they must sort of be a compounding thing, right? Well, there's there's something as well that comes back to 
systems and coaching. Because you look at the Exeter team and Exeter can play their second team or even their third team mm. and the systems are still there. Saracens, they, they, they don't fall apart when you've got their second and third team. Leinster are famous for doing it in the Pro 14. I mean, they've, they've won 25 games this year. I bet Sexton has started fewer than 10, uh, maybe eight games in the Pro 14, something like that. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously quality behind that. I think it does. I think it's a sliding scale based on the quality of your coaching. Yeah, so, I mean, does it take, like, seven good players, eight good players, nine good players before the team becomes good? Because you can actually hide rookies in in your squad, as Northampton showed today. Well, did they show it? Yes, they did show it, because that, that loose head, uh, who we'll talk about later, Emmanuel Han, Han. Is it Emmanuel? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his name when I come to the Northampton section properly later. But he had a great game. So you, you can hide young lads in... In, um, in inside the team, yes, you definitely can. Is is the tipping point of how many before it makes such a significant difference? Yeah, and that's kind of what I want to know. Yes, yeah. how many will it take? Yes. Uh, did you spend the time to watch the Bristol game? I did. I loved the Bristol game actually. I so, really, really enjoyed it. So, as with a, with a dear friend of mine uh, back in North Wales, having a few having a few beers as one does, and we could find nowhere to show it. So I had to actually set up my phone in the box which I served the condiments in and then put it on the, ed- <laughs> put it on the edge of the table. Nice. Yeah, yeah. It was a decent little, a decent little setup. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, and check out this as well. So I went out to uh, the, the lovely town of Conway on Friday, enjoying our beers and its table service, and I said, any chance we can get some, get, get some cocktails? Do you know what the answer was? No. Why? Uh, no mixologist. Uh, sadly, no. Not not a lack of mi- uh, not a lack of mixology. Uh, COVID. Co- no COVID, COVID cocktails. No no cocktails during COVID. Apparently, COVID spreads more easily when uh, you're serving cocktails. Do they only have? Uh, do they only do fishbowl cocktails? <laughs> like 12 straws I have no idea I have no uh, two fish bowls of Negroni please one fish bowl each so I, I don't know what I don't know what happened but I was baffled by, I mean of all the ridiculous Covid regulations that we, that we have to put up with not having a, ne- a Negroni because of Covid restrictions is ridiculous that does seem a bit ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> but nonetheless, I had a, I had a lovely time. So, if my recollection my re- my recollection of this particular game is not exactly what it should be, well, then I apologise. Well, I I loved this game. So I I um I watched this down in the gym. I wasn't drinking on Friday night. No, nope. um, I was working hard down in the gym. I'm watching the rugby. I've got to say, uh, two um two very apt descript um descriptions of how we both live. <laughs> well, I did I did. Uh, drinks out in Soho on, on Thursday night because I was working down in London so uh, yeah I, I needed to calm Friday night which, yeah, and which to is be fair exactly I did go I did to the gym on, on Saturday morning so that's you were in the gym at like 6am on Saturday morning weren't no, you no I was in the gym on, at 6am on, on Friday morning okay. doing a CrossFit se- session with my 60 year old mum nice who completed the whole wad how, were, had, how were her muscle ups uh, we didn't do muscle ups, thankfully, and she cheated cheated a little bit on the burpees. But she, uh, like, I actually like mother went, like son. Exactly, I went as a guest to her CrossFit gym. Nice. She's actually the member. I I, I went as the guest. <laughs> then we went to the most CrossFit thing ever, which is walk into town and have two uh, uh and have two espressos. 
Nice. Yeah. Just, just a straight espresso. Straight uh, Double. Straight espresso, yeah. Double. Yeah. Um, so the game. So, yeah, so the game. Uh, first of all, I'm with you. A tremendously, tremendously entertaining game. Uh, I was worried about this. Uh, after mocking Dragons mercilessly now for the best part of six years, um, <laughs> when they announced that team, I thought, "Hang on a minute! These guys are not these guys are not jokes. And you know, they're not playing playing games. They, they've got some talent in that team. Yeah. And for the first twenty minutes, the talent and the tactics all kind of melded together to totally disrupt Bristol. They totally threw Bristol off their stride for the first 20 minutes. They scored a great try. The finish by Ashton Hewitt was excellent. It was a good try, that actually, wasn't it? Yeah. The, bit, the bit of luck involved, kick. though. The crossfield kick was great, right mm. on the money, and then he steps round and hand off and accelerates round Piertau, which is no mean feat. No, it's really not. So, yeah, the Ashton Hewitt try was good. Um, just looking at this team, though, yeah, it's a right mix, isn't it, of lads that? How can I put this politely? It's either lads that they've developed, which are few and few and far between. Um, so I guess that'd be Elliot D, Leon, Leon Brown, Wayne uh, Wright, Ashton Hewitt himself, and then supplemented with lads who would they need to play in Wales, but there's no other room for them in any other region. So Jonah Holmes, Tomkins, Tom Moriarty, yeah, yeah, Roberts. Roberts is a. Is an interesting one. I mean, I don't know why he's there. Because he couldn't be playing at the Stormers, or he's not playing at the Stormers right now. Yeah, but what I mean by that is, I understand why Moriarty's there. International cash matters. I assume Jamie Roberts will n- will not be called up to Wales again. Yes, maybe I'm wrong. I... Maybe maybe he's got a big future in, in Wales. Um, I doubt it though. I mean, I'd love to see him back 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 in a red shirt. I'd love to see Jamie Roberts, yeah. the Jamie Roberts of uh, the vintage five years ago, but. In reality, I don't think I don't think think that we will. Uh, so I don't understand why he is playing at Dragons when he could be anywhere else in the world. Well, I think that's part of the problem that he couldn't be any place else in the world for the last six months mm. because nothing was. He was in Cape Town, which I imagine Cape Town fits quite nicely with uh, Jamie Roberts' lifestyle. Yes, I imagine it would do. Um, maybe slightly less uh, Newport compared to Cape Town. Compared to well, that's it. Paris, London, Paris, London Cape, Cape Town, Town Newport. Newport. I don't. I mean, he's, he's done Bath as well. Bath and Cambridge. Don't forget. I mean, it's just not. Uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway. We it's we a, digress. It's a short term fix. But for the first twenty minutes, Jamie Roberts was brilliant because he, he didn't have to do anything ball in hand. Nope. But he was leading the defensive line and the defense. The the planned um, defense from Dragons was a rush defense to put. Um, Bristol under pressure and it worked brilliantly for 20 minutes and then after 20 minutes it all just fell apart and it really did um, Dragons were nowhere near fit enough to maintain that level of intensity and that level of coordination for much longer than that and Bristol ran riot when that Bristol team gets space they have got so many dangerous runners and you just don't know where to look for them because if if you uh, try and throw three men on Radrada and Piatau, which actually teams frequently do, mental, then Morahan or Purdy or Piers O'Connor, who's been brilliant since he's come back, yep. or Nathan Hughes or or um, Harry Thacker or the magnificent Ben Earl will just tear you apart because there's so much space for all of those so other runners. I was explaining to uh, to my friend that I was out with who is big into his rugby 
um, but hasn't really been involved in the game or watched it for a few years. Just come back from Australia, and he's like, um, "Yeah, who's this Ben Earl lad? Um, you know, traditional sevens." Like, no, but watch out, he's got incredible feet. And then I think his two tries were just outrageous. Like, that's the boy. That's a yeah. He played exactly as I described him. The inside line for that first try. Because it was a line out, and he gets all the way across. Diagonal inside support line gets his reward. And then the second one. I mean, that was a winger's finish. Yeah. That was... the Of all the back rows that can do that, the only other one that I really think um, is Sam Simmons. Yes, I'd agree with that. There's, I'm, uh, I'm trying to think now. Oh no, you missed one obvious one. Well, I mean, I know uh, Jacques Vermeulen did it in the Exeter game. No, much more obvious than that. Uh, Jonathan Bedmore. Uh, admittedly, I I flirt between front row and back, back row. row. Yeah, but um, and, I mean, and I also could do... a winger by trade as well. Well, originally I was a winger, yeah. Uh, so I, mean, I could definitely do it. You could I definitely, definitely do, do it. it. But yeah. no, there's another one who might be able to even better than I could. Go on. How do you know this? Zach Mercer. Ah, uh, Zach Mercer, yeah. Zach Mercer is very Zach good. Zach Mercer is the go-to steppy yeah. back rower. Yeah, fair point. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love this game. I mean, it, it was... Well, it was only just after half-time that um, when Semi Radrada scored that wonder try that kind of it was definitely confirmed that Bristol were going to win this. Then you knew it's on. Well, here's, here's my thought on this. Uh, I get it. They want to win a trophy. Fine. But they ended up scoring over half a century of points. Now, in my mind, if the Dragons have put out their strongest team, and this does look like their strongest team, yes. there's no holding back here. And the names are there, the matchups one on one are there. If you were to, you know, to pick a joint team, they'd be probably 50 50. Uh, there's all sorts of experience, emerging talents. Uh, Aaron Wainwright's a class player, blah, 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 blah. Um. They still lost by a hell of a lot of points. They still lost by, what, 39 points. 39 points the, the Dragons Dragons lost by. So all the names, all the rest of it goes out the window. Effectively, they're garbage. I mean, you, you can't come to any other conclusion by looking at this that they're garbage. Um, yeah. And my point would be, the biggest losers here are Bristol. Because if they... I mean, they have gambled... Their premiership, set, um, their premiership playoff appearances to put out a strong team team for this game, and they'd never needed to. Yeah, you know, if you when you beat a team by fifty six points, but you, you you didn't. I mean, it's not like you, so they couldn't have put their second string team out for this game. They had to go full strength for this game, even though it turns out they didn't need to. Well, I mean, I'd say they they definitely didn't need to. Of the two games, right, I would rather have picked up a narrow win against Wasps and then pick whatever I had left of the remnants to play Bristol, have the week, uh, play um, Dragons, take a week off, and then see, see what comes against uh, Bordeaux. I just think it's... Completely reckless. I think it's utterly <laughs> reckless. The important one for Bristol has to be the Premiership. Has to be the Premiership. It can't be absolutely spanking clowns. 56-17. Particularly if they go to Bordeaux and, and get beaten. If they go to Bordeaux and get beaten and they don't make the Premier, the Premiership playoffs because it's out of their hands now. Well, they'll be hosting Bordeaux, won't they? Yes. Sorry, that's they go to Bordeaux. Yeah, yeah but Bordeaux are a bloody good team. Bordeaux are a good team. I, I'm, I still think they've done it the right way around. Hang personally. on. Hang on. Wait. Uh-oh. How am it? We have some Zoom action. Hello, Tim Cocker. 
but livid, Tim Cocker. Oh, uh, <laughs> I can. I mean, I can only apologise. I can only. So, uh, I mean, we we speculated at the top of the podcast what might have happened. I said uh, probably running away from bouncers again, or didn't settle up his uh, settle up his stripper bill. Which one was it? <laughs> Um, both of those and. <laughs> uh, well, no, so I missed I, I missed most of Toulouse Ulster because I felt very guilty about um, having to dial into the podcast, you know, and, and having to dictate when it was and stuff. So I thought, do you know what I'll do? I'll swerve Ulster Toulouse at least the first half and I'll get myself and I'll go and recce where I'm going to do the podcast from. And so that's that's what I did. And uh, then, then if you just imagine a little one person playing violin and someone else just singing all by myself as I sat there, <laughs> waiting, waiting to do the podcast. Oh, but, I had like, I've got, but basically, I've got a sort of four-hour drive or four or more-hour drive ahead of me, and I thought I've, I've got to start making progress. The only problem is, as it turned out, the one spot I found Wi-Fi on is the only spot in the whole of the southwest of England, evidently, that there's reliable Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit backwards down there, mate. I don't know if you heard. So where and, are you and now? Again, and, and to explain, the only reason that I needed to find a Wi-Fi spot at all is because my phone was nicked on Friday night in oh, Bristol. By, by near, strippers? Near Bristol? In Bristol. In Bristol. Right, right in the heart of Bristol. Oh, so, you're no, joking. The genuine story is it couldn't be more opposite from strippers. I, oh right, okay, um, nuns. <laughs> I was try. I was. I nipped across the road from my hotel to get uh, a pint of milk so I could have a proper cup of tea. <laughs> a pint of milk. Room. How big would your tea? <laughs> <laughs> well, just no. You know, not that little pasteurized pots that they give you. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and I put my coat. I, I put my bag down. Sorry and my coat and then my phone just next to me to the left where I was doing the self-checkout. You have the three little spots. You've got the place you put your basket, the checkout bit, and the bit to the right where you put your stuff when you paid for it. And I put my stuff down on the bit on the left where the basket would go, scanned my milk, and in the space of doing that, someone had half-inched it, and they looked on the security camera, and they just saw someone reach in and grab it. No. Well, I got. if it makes you feel better. I know. If it makes you feel better, I got done for about 600 euros in Barcelona. I paid for a meal on my card. Everyone gave me cash. And I thought, here we go, party time. And uh, we stepped outside onto the beach. Yoik, away it went. But as I said, I had such a good night that, that, that night anyway. If someone had told me that this, is, this night will cost you 600 euros, I would gladly have handed it over. <laughs> yeah, same goes in Romania, Phil. Phil went to the cash point. Didn't you go to get whatever? I can't remember what the Romanian currency is. Yeah. We did our live show. And you got about, I don't know, 200 quid's worth of cash and then just walked off without taking it out of the machine. <laughs> I was a bit hungover. It was in the morning as well. And just walked off, went back to the machine uh, and someone had someone had obviously seen it and taken it away. Um, it, and I checked my bank account later. It had not gone back into the machine. What a shame. That was about 100, 150 quid, something like that. Oh, that was annoying. Painful. Anyway, it, it's all glamour. I am, yes. I am in the... Uh, the leafy Lee Delamere services. Lee Delamere services. That sounds like it should be close. Shut. Yeah. That sounds like it should be in Chester. No, it's um, it's in between Bath and Swindon. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, it's a travel tavern. Anyway. Yeah. 
Um, I guess, and what no, we'll do. Anyway, I, I imagine you've spoken about. Le- Le- I imagine you've spoken about Leinster Saracens. So let me just chip in with a couple of things that you may have said and may not have said. Yes, yes please, please do. That I feel very strongly about. I'm sure. You, I'm, I'm sure you did a wonderful job at summarising the whole game. I will just say, was it hubris on Leinster? You've got 250 appearance, three-time European Cup winner Jackson Ray on the open side. You have the option to pick Irish international Josh van der Fleer and you you pick someone on his European debut. That's hubris right there. And the same goes with they had Scott Fardy not even involved and they had a kid of a second row. Why have someone like Scott Fardy in your squad if you're not going to use him for a European Cup quarterfinal against the, uh, the champions of Europe? I think it was arrogance from interesting yeah and that that does it lends towards one of the points i was making which was um leinster seemed very reluctant to kick the ball um at at all in the game and they there was many times where they'd run four five six seven eight phases and they're getting nowhere the saracens defense is just swallowing them up every time they get not getting past the gain line and they kept on refusing to kick. Mm. And it was more they... You could put it down to them thinking that they... Oh, don't worry, we're good enough. It will crack and we will get through and we will find our way through to win this. And Which it they nearly happened. did, actually. Well, it, it happened twice in the, 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 the uh, early on in the second half of those two tries, but not besides that. Mm. And I, I, bet, I bet JB made a point about the Pro 14 being poor uh, preparation. <laughs> Have you we, been reading my Twitter? <laughs> no, no, no. But I think that that possibly ties in with what I'm saying as well. In a way, you can connect all of the dots. What Phil's just said, you, that point that you, have, I'm, I'm no doubt, have already made, mm, yes. and what, what I've just said in that the Pro 14 didn't didn't prepare them, and they might have kidded themselves that they're a bit better than they were, or Saracens. I don't, I don't know what they were thinking. Um, and yeah, like you say, n- maybe not playing a respectful enough game plan, but. Um, I just can't help thinking it was hubris. Will, I mean, Will Connors, I'm sure he's going to be a great player, but what are they doing? Yeah, it's a it's a fair point. I mean, I did think the uh, I did think the replacement second row, but Beard. We said this, in, uh, I said yeah. this earlier in the pod. I thought he had a very good game actually. I think he probably justified his selection. But you've still got one hell of a player which you've not used. Yeah, in yeah. in Scott Fardy and Josh van der Flee was man of the match last week. Yeah, do you know? Yes. Do you know what we haven't mentioned? Go on. And something BT Sport didn't. Although I was looking at the teams and he wasn't on there. This was Rob Carney's last potential game to be involved with Leinster. Confirmed yeah. today, yeah. But yeah. like, I, I, I saw on Twitter people giving Hugo a bit of heat about it, maybe? Or BT Sport a bit of heat about it and no one mentioned it. But um, how would you? Because he wasn't in the damn squad. Yeah, I didn't. If you look back at the Leinster lift in the Pro 14 trophy last year um, Rob Carney and Fergus McFadden were in track suits lifting the trophy for the first like they were the two who lifted the trophy so I assume it, that is down to their uh, impending retirements but I would like to say if, if that is the last time we could possibly say Rob Carney uh, see Rob Carney what an incredible career yes Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hell of, hell of a player. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of wish he was carrying on, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, sadly, well, w- I say sadly, he's not um, performed for a couple of years, as he did in the 2009 Lions. Oh, my word. The first test, which we watched back during early days of lockdown, didn't we? Yeah. And that was is one of the all-time best ever performances by a fullback. I do wonder if he kind of suffered from being so good so young. Because you can be very, very good when you're older. But if you've set that standard so early of being... He was one of the best players on the planet during that during that Lions tour. He was untouchable. I thought Lee Byrne could not be moved from that 15 shirt. And, uh, well, he did that and then some more. Yeah. Well, he's, he's one of the most decorated Irish players ever. Yeah, quite quite an incredible feat. So yes. Some, some career and an incredibly handsome man as well. Incredible, and, and we still haven't got to the bottom. What was it? Him on that balcony or not? I'm, <laughs> I'm almost certain it was. I'm going to, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm sure JB has waxed lyrical. In fact, I'm sure you both have about Saracen. So again, I won't. I, I, I don't don't want to go over ground you've already gone over. Only to say, in case you didn't, that Saracens again just managed to do incredible things with players that you can't, you, you don't imagine would. They'd be able, like Tim Swinston. What? Practically got, they practically got him out of retirement, and he looked awesome. Sorry, can I just and say, Pete, Alec, and I, did someone around here claim call for Swinston to be in the Lions last time round? <laughs> Before you say, looked, I've always believed in Tim Swinston. I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously you'll have raved about Mario Toji, but they just plucked him out of retirement, and there he is in a quarterfinal of the European Cup, looking ace. And Alex Lewington, yeah. how yeah. much better has he got? So I, I just I, I I what Lawrence Delalio said at, at the full full time whistle I, I would totally echo when he said he was in awe of Saracens and um, I'm hoping if I'm I'm hope well that there there is a slim chance I could be in Paris for the oh, second, we'll see. La Defense slim, there is a there is a slim chance. Yeah, it's slim chance. That uh, would that would be amazing if you get to go to that game, yeah. La Defense Arena. Yeah. You know, the one thing I forgot to mention about that game is the interview straight afterwards with Brad Barrett, and I thought he spoke wonderfully. So I put on Twitter something along the lines of, after what all these boys have been through, and there are all, there are all sort of bitter people out there, oh, you know, what have they been through? Oh, they're just cheats. Uh, you know, whatever you think about the Saracen situation, you, you would struggle to argue that the lads who are still there have not been through it through quite a lot, whether it be the dismantling of their team, uh, you know, the, the shame of being involved, the, being involved with the whole scandal. Uh, but the thing which Brad Barrett said, which I loved, was we've had to keep together and keep our discipline. Sending to those words, 
because we've been playing so many games which mean nothing and we've had to stay motivated throughout these games that mean nothing and actually it's that build up and that professionalism leading to this game which I thought was most impressive but it, it, that did allow them to have total focus on this game yeah for we, we said it before but for basically well since um, March time when they first knew that they were going to be playing this game it's yeah. been total focus yeah. I, I would just say I just it, because we had that five month gap it's, it's hard to remember one thing that I remembered over the weekend was Saracens initially when Europe started still had a chance of surviving in the premiership they only had their 35 point yes um, deficit so they didn't bother they wrote off Europe and said we need to focus on the premiership and it was only when they got the extra penalty that they went, oh, OK, well, we'll focus on Europe. And they got in by the skin of their teeth. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I think we'll look back at this and say maybe the punishment was justified for Saracens. Maybe it wasn't. But the administration of it was being, had been horrendous. Uh, and that's a great point you make, Tim, because it's not fair on them to say, here's your punishment, focus on one thing. Midway through, oh, here's a different punishment. Now you've got to redouble. But it was a different crime. Yeah, but I think we could have loved it all. I mean, you know, I think <laughs> if they were slightly more organised about it, we could have done this a better way. Yeah, that's um, fair. Pot- potentially, yes. Um, now, we do have some logic here, Tim. We've deliberately not spoken about the Exeter game because, of course, we didn't have front row seats. You did. Yeah, I, I just I love the cut of Exeter's jib in the they, and I spoke quite a bit to Ali Heifer after the game, and obviously you would have heard Rob Baxter talking, but mm-hmm. they, they, they were they were they were basically coming off the back of that game, which they won comfortably, but didn't play brilliantly, and they were like, well, no, it's, it, you know what, it's job done, and we knew it was a game like that. There was it was always going to be a game like that um, because there was so much expectation and. Northampton had been written off and you know what we, we got the job done we're still at home next week I just the maturity of the side just seeps down from the top there's so much calmness and focus and what I really like about Exeter I remember I remember at the very start of the season they were saying out in really outspoken words we really want Europe this year we really mm-hmm. want it and as it stands at the moment they're playing a semi-final at home it's to be confirmed, but there is a chance they could be playing a final at home if they win next week as well. So they could end up playing the next basically three or four weekends. I'm trying to work it out. One, two, three. Next three weekends or three weekends out of the next four. Or it might even be four weekends out of the next four playing at Sandy Park. Yeah. And I don't think this win... Before a premiership final. Yeah. And I don't think this win should be un- underestimated because Northampton have had their struggles. Uh, we'll talk about their loose head sh- shortly. But you look through his team, it's not a bad team. In fact, if you were to write off Northampton and they come this loaded, you could e- you could easily trip over because they are bloody good player for player. Now, you know, things have, haven't gone their way. They've got their team selection wrong in the Premiership. I think their record suggests that they're a lot worse than they, than they, re- than they really are. In fact, this is a good team. And they dismantled them. Exeter dismantled Northampton. Yeah. yeah. Exeter were... I think you said it before, Tim. They won it quite comfortably, albeit they did not play their best rugby. And I, I do, I do think from having heard um, some of the conversations midweek and uh, Rob Baxter post game that they they always knew what they had to do to win this game. 
actually more of their focus is on next week and the next few weeks because they want to win them both. They want to win Europe, they want to win the Heineken Cup, and they also want to win uh, the the Premiership. And both of those things are within their grasp. They, they, in my mind, they can do both of them. Yeah. Which would be if they go through and win Europe, which they've never even been close before, against the teams who are left in, because the, the the three other teams are no joke. Yeah. So an Exeter can go toe to toe with any of them. So a few warning signs in my mind for Exeter. One was the line out. The line out was substandard. Uh, it just was. Uh, the the call selection was substandard. The more was substandard. Um, they lost the opening two lineouts, which is substandard. Uh, and also the scrum. I mean, the scrum actually won them a... Well, it won them. That's not the right word for it. Was the main cause for the, fir- for the first try. Um, but after that, um, Emmanuel... How let me get his right, na- name right. Ayugan? Is that right, Tim? Iogan. Yeah. Iogan. Yeah. One back to back. Well, Iugan, he won at least three. You, you say it with an O. You say it with an O. Yeah. I, I, Iogan. Yeah. He won two penalties from Thomas Francis, which is, I'd say, unacceptable for your 40 odd capped tight, tight head to be giving away any penalties. Is it not Harry Williams at that point? No, Thomas Francis. So later on in the game? Yeah, later on in the game. Because he won at least one against, against Harry Williams. Harry Williams yes, yeah, well. straight off the bat. Um, so there are there are some concerns there. The, of all the things to be concerned about, Exit, um, uh, Exeter's lineout. I thought they were thoroughly thoroughly outplayed at the set piece. Yet, sorry, at the lineout, not all the set piece. Yet they won thirty eight points to fifteen. And one of the things which I thought was really telling, I don't know if you noticed this, first half, uh, Northampton are playing so hard. I mean, they threw everything at them. There was nothing left from Northampton, so there could be no complaints on their on their behalf that, that they lost this. They literally ran out of men to carry the ball. Did did, <laughs> did you see it round, round the rock? So someone carries in. It's like the far right hand corner in the exit of twenty two, and they didn't just run out of steam. They ran out of players. The, the, the rock was unattended for about what felt like ten seconds, but it was more like two seconds prob- prob- probably. Yeah. And I've not I've not seen that outside of the preseason, and I assume it's just because everyone was absolutely knackered. Yeah, because you're running into that ex Chiefs wall, yeah, brick wall. And the problem that I think Northampton had is that their forwards carried gainfully, but unlike Ulster, unlike Saracens, unlike almost everyone you can think of, they had nobody in the backs that could help their forwards get over the gain line. Yeah, I mean, um, Hutchinson and, and Dingwall are relatively lightweight yeah. centres. They, they're great runners and both ran very well. And Dingwall took his try brilliantly, but they're not. They've not got an out there. They've not got a Stockers. They've not got a Manu Tuolagi. They've not got a Brad Barrett. They have got a Tangeli Nairavoro. Uh, they have, who wasn't playing. Well, no. he was on, on the bench. So, I mean, I thought that was really difficult for their part because you know, Courtney Law has made, I, I would say, of his 13 carries, at least nine, if not ten of them, before, before the half. Yeah. I mean, you can't continue that level of work, level of work rate no matter who you are. No. Um, and I, I tell you, another one who disappointed me today is Tamana Harrison. You know, if you're a six-foot-two back row... There are plenty of you out there which are very successful. And we mentioned a few of them, didn't we? Ben Earl, Sam Simmons, so on and so forth. 
they've got ama- amazing feet. Uh, they've got an amazing set of skills. Tamana Harrison is very confrontational, very physical. Abrasive, some might Abrasive, say. Abrasive, some might say, indeed. But I just think when it comes to the higher level, I'm not sure he's... I'm not sure abrasiveness when you're... Was he 6'2", six, six something like that? He's not enormous. No, he's, he's, he's six two, 100, 104 kilograms. It's just not going to be enough. Yeah, abrasiveness some work rate will only get you so far. Yeah, and I felt I felt that that kind of showed showed today. Uh, great in the Premiership, but just maybe this is a level uh, too far, which pains me to say because I'm a, I'm a fan of his normally. Um, Contrast can, can, can his uh, performance today with, with Lewis Ludlam, who was absolutely ev- who was up absolutely everywhere, and again has got that bit of X factor with his feet and his and carrying. You know, that's why one is in the England squad and one isn't. Yeah, well, he was. For 30 minutes. 26. 26 minutes, something <laughs> like that. But yeah, the secret to Northampton even getting competitive today was working out how to bend that line and then get Hutchinson and co into, into the game without asking them to carry, was was my thought. Yeah. With the, with the greatest respect to Northampton, I mean, their, their, their season's done, so it's probably not even worth talking about Northampton until next, next year. Month. Yeah, um, December. I, I just, I, I look at... Um, to lose that that matchup with Exeter is so interesting because they're both teams that have, in fact, very much like Bristol actually, um, can have uh, an amazing five minutes and score twenty one points. Yeah, yeah, I, I love this matchup to lose Exeter. I, th- I think so it's gonna, I think it's going to be absolutely dynamic. I can't help but think that Exeter trip up here. I don't know. I mean, I really want the, I really, really want them, want them to make the final. But I just think that Exeter can match them up front like not very many teams can. And then they've got Chelsea Colby. Yeah, I know. And, you know that's just a, a, just an unusual talent. There's no one that can prepare you for him. But then, but then, I mean, Hogg and um, Jack Noel yeah. are two phenomenal no. runners. They are phenomenal they're, runners, they're, but so is Stockdale. Yeah, Stockdale's different kettle of fish to those two. Yeah, a t- totally different type of player to those two. I, I, I just think, kind of looking at it superficially, there seems to be a lot of comp- a lot of um, similarities between these teams mm. and the way that they're set up, um, the strengths of the strengths of their pack. But it's not just their pack; it's um, cohesiveness, it's it's talent, and it's explosive talent out wide. Yeah. Like the, there are there are so many dangerous players what on about, both teams. What about closer in? I mean, you said yourself, um, Dupont, Romain Intermac, Peter Aki, um, uh, Gatoon. I mean, these guys are. I have to say that they are a level a level above what what Exeter can, can what Exeter can put out. So uh, Dupont is definitely um, mm. he, he's a level above, but Exeter. I mean, when Nick White was playing at Exeter Nick White is a superb scrum half yeah he is um, and he's not quite as good as Dupont but Exeter they don't need a Dupont or a Nick White because they don't play with the scrum half playing that running game mm. um, but I mean to, to say um, Aki and Gatuna are a level above um, Slade, oh, yeah, Slade not, and Witten or Slade and Devoto I, I think that's unfair I think I, I think Slade today showed his absolute class yeah Slade was amazing actually Slade that was one of the better games I've seen Slade have particularly with ball in hand I thought oh. he was out, outstanding he, he was so so good 
I, I, I think gonna, I think it could, it could come down to possession, really, because the, the you know Exeter went in at half time and they, they hadn't by their standards they hadn't had the ball at home. Exeter usually dominate possession, and um, and that that will do twofold. That will tire those massive Toulouse forwards out. And if you know if you don't give Ramos and Dupont and Intermac the ball, they can't do anything. So that's a fair point. If, if anyone can play a possession game, it's going to be Exeter. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, I do think as well that so both of these teams, both Toulouse and Exeter, uh, they had the easiest um, of the the four quarterfinals. They were at home to considerably weaker teams. Both felt like, and we said it last week, both felt like foregone conclusions and both were foregone conclusions. Um so they they will have already been preparing because they would have known what's coming next week. Mm. So I think both teams will be quite well prepared to play each other. So I think mm. that that matchup is just going to be absolute dynamite. Yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? It is. I you made me re- rethink my thought that Toulouse will win this now because Exeter are so smart. I think it's a coin toss in, in my head at the moment. Mm. I'd, I'd give. Slight advantage to Exeter purely because it's it's home, home advantage, mm-hmm. and to lose. So Exeter have never done this before. To lose are four times champions, but not since two thousand and ten. So pretty much none of this team have ever been at this stage of Europe. Yeah, they've got a World Cup winner though. Yeah. Um, in fact, they got it, two of them. That is that, that is that is a really yeah. good shout though, Phil. That is a really good shout. And you got to remember, Exeter when they first got to. Well, you know, they moved up through the Premiership. They got to Premiership playoffs. They had the disappointment. They won it. They've been to four finals in a row. And they've been building. This is seven their seventh European campaign. Yeah. And Rob Baxter has made signings with this in mind. They've approached how they manage the squad with this in mind, everything is gearing up to it. And I actually, funnily enough, I mean, I know Toulouse have got incredible players, but they do feel maybe a year or two behind as a group where Exeter are. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. Interesting. I still want to say that Toulouse shade it. Um, now, I think it would be amiss of us to leave this game without a huge mention to Northampton's loose head, Emmanuel Iogan. Ayogan. Ayogan. This is a this is a quite a, remar- a remarkable thing, no? I I think it is a remarkable. It thing. is absolutely astounding what so what this young man did. So Tim, you'll know a bit more of the history, but he converted from a number eight to a loose head prop last this, last year or this year. Yeah, well, I don't know if they meant this yeah, calendar year or this of, season. Towards the end of, yeah, I think this season was his first full season as a loose head prop. Wow. He's 19 years he's 19 years of age. He's converted number 8. And yeah, what a baptism of fire. Fair and play. Uh, due to having four loose head props injured, he played last week about 50 minutes against Leicester. That was his first ever senior rugby uh at he, loose head prop. Tell you what, he's done his career and his bank and, and his bank account. Um no world of uh, sorry, uh, any number of favors because I th- yeah I think he's I think he's set up now for a very very promising career. 
Yeah, it, you can't get much better test than that. And yeah. he passed that test with flying colours, didn't he? Yeah, and I, one of the things I noticed in the warm-up, and this is not scientific at all, but um, <laughs> I was watching the warm-up, and obviously the cameras were focusing on him, and he just seemed very, very calm. He gave um, one of the second rows like 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 um, a little arse tap. He just looked like he was comfortable in it in that situation so um yeah really impressed impressed by him but here's a question for you what kind of sport do we have right where you can get hundreds of caps worth of tired props and maybe uh, you know many hundreds of appearances in professional rugby and it takes a 19 year old who converted from a number eight to play loose head None of these tight heads could do it, though. No? Not not one of them could do it. It is beyond baffling me. Uh, uh, sorry, it is beyond baffling. Surely it's to do with the turnaround. Because Northampton only realised they were in this position last week. He is 19 he, and he was been, playing back row and his first game was last week. But he, he's been playing loose head for 12 months now. Where? Uh, A-League? A-League Academy. A-League? He's about to play bloody Exeter in a European quarter-final. And all of his mates who were playing on the tight head, like, yeah, I can't do this, mate. Yeah, not interested. <laughs> looks like looks like you're up. 19 years old. x back row. Off you go. Hey, did Fail you, us out, pal. Did you see what uh, Ben Franks described it as? No. Yeah. Oh, uh, was it Ben Franks or Owen Franks? Owen Franks described it as. Yeah, he, he said his his words, and I think you're going to um, <laughs> contend this slightly, JB. His words were, it's like asking a right-handed golfer to, <sighs> to, to play, to go and play the PGA Tour. Now, but the, the, but the, man, the man has got over 100 caps for the All Blacks as a tight head. Prop. I don't care. I simply don't care, right? Uh, and, I, and this is why I don't care. Because never in the history of golf... It, has there ever been a requirement for a right-handed golfer to play left-handed? Whereas in rugby, it's quite clearly obvious that there are two prop, prop, propping positions. And you are surrounded by people that know that know how to do it. You've got video analysis. Oh, by the way, you're a full-time professional. You know, there is no reason why coaches are not making these guys play both sides. And sometimes, I do not doubt that there are situations where one player can only play one side for various reasons. I'm sure that that happens. But I can list off players that can play, um, play both sides quite quite easily. Joe Jones, who played for Sale Sharks, can play both sides quite quite easily. Connie Eustace can play both sides. And, you know, they're not ambidextrous. They just happen to practice. <laughs> Yeah. I don't mind saying this. I knew this. when this happened, it would open up this can of worms yeah. again. Owen, Owen Franks is wrong. There you go. <laughs> I'm happy to say that. From a, a man who has over 100 caps for the All Blacks, scrummaging for 20 years at, at, the, yeah, but he's at, never, at the highest level. Uh, so if he's this, uh, and he is, sorry, if he's that, no, he, he is that high level. He is that good. I have no doubt he is amazing. If Owen Franks did five minutes a, a day throughout his entire career, are you telling me that he couldn't play loose head? No, I'm saying absolutely he could. What I'm saying is this, the problem they found themselves in is a six-day turnaround. You found this problem in six days. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just find it amazing that of their four tight heads available, some of them are awesome, but I really rate Paul Hill. Um, is Painter a tight head? He is, isn't he? Aaron Painter, yeah. I mean, that's an enormous man. Uh, Franks, I mean, you've got three there. Uh, you're going to no, give the responsibility to a 19-year-old who just converted last week and had one, one game against what? Leicester. Good Lord. 
Anyway. Anyway, congratulations. <laughs> that was my point. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, you're absolutely right. Uh, that's something you, you won't forget in a hurry. Uh, and it was just, you You thought, and there was a couple of times when he was on roller skates, but you thought, I thought how it was going to be the whole game. Was, yeah, yeah. I, and, do you know what? And, and his loose play is pretty good. Or, and you're definitely right about the roller skates. But I'll tell you... I'll, I'll, oh, sorry, mate. Fair play. Sorry, Tim, you were just cutting out there. Sorry. Hello? Oh, fuck. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, just, so we'll, just, do, we'll just do that again. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right about... Uh, the... Yeah, I'm here. Hello? Fair play. Fair play. I'm here. That's just, that's just Wi-Fi, sorry. Okay. Hello, I'm here. Hello? Can you hear me? I am here. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't help it. Sorry. Okay. No, no, it's, it's all right, mate. I'll just do that. We'll just do that a bit again. I've marked it up so I can edit it. Um, yeah. Do you know what? You're absolutely right about about the roller skates on, on occasions. But I think it's fair to say that could be any prop in 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 the world uh, because against against Exeter or any of these other um, brilliant scrums, all you need to do is put one foot wrong or get one thing wrong, and you will be going backwards. Yes. So, you know, I think he did remarkably well. I think we, I think we all agree on that. Definitely. Definitely. We'll play Emmanuel. Mm. Um, we, we, did, we disagree on who's, who's going to win next weekend. I, I think, I do think it's going to be Exeter. I do. I, 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 I honestly think they're never going to have a better chance yeah. to do something incredible. And it just feels like the path has opened up for them to go and do a double. Yeah, I I do agree. Do you not think it's just too easy though? It, not too easy. Yeah, too easy. It's like too obvious, too telegraphed. Yeah, that it's opened up. Yeah, but but it's too telegraphed. Too, it's too telegraphed and too obvious. But that is as a result of everything they've done before, and by that I mean they don't have to worry about playing their first team in the final two premiership games because they got the home semi-final in the bank ages now, ago. Now, that's a great question. So who does that benefit? Is it Bristol? Uh, someone has someone Wasps, is playing next to... Wasps play Wasps. them final game. Yeah. <laughs> Wasps play them. Oh, no. Yeah. And Exeter, just, just one final point, and this, I think, reinforces um, the points that you were making before, Tim, about um, backs to... Baxter and Exeter have just been focusing on Europe. They're two big signings this year, Hogg and Johnny Gray. In my head, they are for Europe. With Europe. Mm. They, strengthen, they strengthen that Exeter team in a way. I mean, they didn't need another second row. They've got loads of them. But someone like Johnny Gray, who has got the experience of, well, playing at the highest level, playing World Cups, Six Nations, is and... Stuart Hogg, who's captain of his country and is one of the best fullbacks in the world, it's yeah. a huge strength to compete in Europe. It, it changes their... Think about where Exeter are now and exactly what you're what you're saying about the squad. Ollie Woodburn wasn't involved. Don Armand wasn't involved. Yeah. Dave Dennis wasn't involved. Frikey. You've got some really... Phil Dolman, you've got some... Tom Hendrickson, you've got some really good players. Yeah. You can't even make the matchday squad. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? Uh, there again... That set. Now you've said that, it does make me fear for wasps uh, because it's going to be the second team. Yeah, the second all, team aren't bad, are they? All with a point to prove to all get, into, they want the to get tw- into the twenty-three. Yeah, this isn't like a normal club, is it? Oh, <laughs> uh, I so, do yeah. not know. I do not know. Uh, so I think we covered off the Exeter game 
yeah. uh, for next week. Let's just talk a little bit about Saracens. I mean, they can't do it twice, can they? I'm not sure they can. Going away to Racing, um, a team that beat them twice, albeit um, with the consideration that you mentioned before, Tim, a team that beat them twice in the in the group stages. Do oh, you no, think... Didn't Saracens, oh, did didn't they... Saracens beat Racing uh, at home? Uh, I really can't remember. When they, Actually, when yeah, they had they, to, with, with they, like Manu Vanapola and, they must... and a sort of... Yeah. Second string side, I think they did. Sorry, I'm just looking. Saracens did lose two games, but it was one to Munster and one to. I'm just looking at the. Did they get a yeah. draw to Munster as well? Here we go. Let me have a look. Duh, duh, duh. They won the, when they had Rassing, to because it's when they. It, it, yeah, it Racing Munster drew. Um, yeah. But yeah, Saracens lost in the first round to to Racing. Uh, then Racing Munster drew. Munster beat Saracens with a. I don't really know what you said, but yeah, I was thinking. I was thinking that they didn't take the first team to Paris. Yes, they didn't take the first team to Paris or Munster in the first round of games, but the, but then they they went and won in the second or the the, the final three fixtures. They uh, won all three. They beat Munster, then then they beat Ospreys. And then they beat Racing by, beat Ospreys. by three points. <laughs> they even beat Ospreys. Yeah. Uh, I think it's I, a step. I, I think they can definitely go to Paris and win. I really think they can. I don't. I, I'd love them to, but I don't. I do worry that this is a step too far yeah. for them. Is Farrell back? No. no. He'd, be, he'd be back in the final, I think. Yes, if they get there, he's in the final. Yeah. Oof. Uh, yeah, I think it's a step too far, which is a shame. Because that, I mean, that, that Racing team is f- a fairly serious team. <laughs> it's fairly handy right across the board. Yeah, they've got some good players, it's fair to say. They've got some talent. Um, <laughs> do you know, we have forgot to mention a game. Uh, go on. Um, Leicester Tigers won. <laughs> yeah. What a what a win. What a perfect perfect way for this team to win a game. Uh, so, I actually think there's a good chance that Leicester Tigers win this competition though with every other team getting uh called off because of COVID. Well, there's no okay, so Tigers don't want to win this thing. We <laughs> they they really don't even if they think they want to win this. The last thing that Tigers want to do is win this tournament. Right. However, the hierarchy at Tigers, the board, maybe not the board, but the trustees or whoever the hell is in charge, all right? Um, they are not going to let Tigers go into European semi-final with their history without putting their best foot forward, without 100%. deploying George Ford and co. And frankly, you know, if you've got both the starting England halfbacks... Um, You've got a good shot of winning any game. <laughs> you can imagine them accidentally winning the semi, and then accident. Well, actually, they don't need to win the final, do they? Uh, yes, they need to win the final. What if Bristol get in get into the final? Irrelevant, because it's it's the top eight players, the top eight teams from England get through to. Um, ah, they Cup replace the eighth team unless some one of them, one who is not in the top eight, wins the. Um, it's not like the UEFA Cup or or whatnot. No, you can't. Uh, damn it! Yeah, if if you're 
if they get to the final but don't win against Bristol, it doesn't make any difference. Because a European a European Cup um, appearance for Leicester Tigers is exactly what exactly what they deserve. Uh, what, what a shame! Now t- Tigers do have the uh, challenge of going to Toulon to yeah. win their next game. So a quick one on this on the Toulon Scarlets game. I've got a very good friend of mine uh, who is from West Wales, and I was speaking to him today. Uh, played rugby with the guy, uh, knows knows his stuff, likes his, likes his scarlets, and he's explaining that for the first night in ages, he had the house to himself, cracked open a beer, watched scarlets to Toulon, and halfway through it, decided he no longer likes rugby. <laughs> so I've 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 not the only thing I've seen from the game is the Lee halfpenny tackle, which is incredible. Really, it's one of the best tackles I've ever seen. Better than Sam Underhill's. It's it's up there. Like, wow! Genuinely, genuinely, it's, it's remarkable. It, from all the other write-ups I've read, this was an appalling game. Uh, it, I watched it. I watched did it. You? It was dreadful. It was dreadful. <laughs> Scarlets should have won. Really? They blew it. Oh. They should have won. They like with uh, with moments to go in the game. They had a driving ball. Uh, to win it uh, and got the ball over the line only for the replacement lock forget the name to just to just drop it oh. they uh, they dropped it Toulon were not great but they're well yeah are they uh, a pale was, impression of the Toulon game. of the past <laughs> yeah uh, so I I, I watched it because I had no phone this is the, the one thing about having no phone is you got no life. No, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't contact anyone. I couldn't do anything. So I, that's the only circumstances under which I would have. I, I persisted and watched all eighty minutes of this game because I literally <laughs> had nothing else to do. There is nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I sat. I, I laid in the bath and put the laptop on the on the on the toilet and uh, and watched the game and had a little doze for most of it. Classic, <laughs> classic. Hey, do you know where you are for next weekend? Do you know which games you'll be covering? Well, like I say, hopefully, but to be confirmed because of COVID rules on coming back to the country and stuff, but potentially Paris. Amazing. So you thought it was Dublin, but that's very much off the cards. Well, yeah, and off that, so do you know what I heard? Um, apparently, the Aviva Stadium has been has been dressed with flags and all sorts of paraphernalia around it. On the on the basis that they thought it, it was going to be a three week run, what a shame! Oh, ooh, <laughs> a shame. Had they had they planned their victory parade too? <laughs> it, it feels. I mean, when I was at Sandy Park today, I'm sure there must have been people that were anticipating the game next weekend against Toulouse, but you, I didn't hear anyone mention it, and you and you didn't you didn't see anything, so. Um, but yeah, again, I, I didn't see it for myself, but I've heard that uh, the Aviva Stadium was 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 dressed up like they were expecting several games. Oh, what a shame! How hot, <laughs> how heartbreaking for all involved to think they'll have to go back to the Aviva Stadium and fold up all those flags, take all the banners down. <laughs> I'm oh, sure no. Mark McCall will help take some of those back I mean, down. I sincerely hope they've not rented out their excess storage space where, where they keep their flags. And <laughs> let's the team that had the uh, flammable f- flags at Bath Rugby. 
Why does that ring a bell? Oh, yeah. It was it was a story. Was it last season yeah, or, or early right. this very early this season? Yeah, you're right. Someone had flammable flags. Yeah, Bath wouldn't let I'm sure it was Bath wouldn't let Leinster take flags into the wreck because they were uh non-fire safety approved. Now, flags. how would you know that about a, a Leinster flag unless you're unless you're a flag burner? <laughs> well, can we just test this one? <laughs> yeah. And test uh, this one. I mean, I, I hope they'd have the same rule for books. <laughs> um, that's one of the things that there's quite a lot of people you see, and I'll, I've got to say about Bristol, um, just the city, I, I used to work there as a teacher years ago. I used to live in Bath up the road. So I, I know Bristol very well, but it's got, it's got way more hipster than I ever remember it. Mm. Oh, I can imagine. To an, to an incredible level. Uh, and I've never seen so many fixie bikes in, in my oh, life. Yeah. And um, and there was a parade down oh. um, down Park Street, which is a, a nice nice street that takes you up to Clifton. And uh, there was a parade down Park Street. And what were they? What were they? What were they chanting? But it just reminded me because. It reminded me of the YouTube videos you see of people trying to burn flags because they're all not they're all fire retardant now. But um, no, what were they, jokes they, on they them. Were, they were there was this big group and they were marching down Park Street chanting. I think I've got this right. I can't. I don't know who it was. Like, oi, um, who was it? Oi, someone. Leave the ped- oh, no, oi, pedos, leave the kids alone. I have That's a fair request. Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in a Bristolian accent, marching down Park Street. Nice. Uh, <laughs> on a sunny Saturday. I wonder what that's about. Interesting. Aren't you going to Aren't you going to Bristol next weekend? Bath next weekend to watch all of our rugby. Remember, they're going on to Cornwall, but the world is in Cornwall, so we're off to Bath to watch all of the games. But we could actually get on the train and go to Bristol. There, there'd be no harm to do that. It's five minutes away. No, no, no. If you're going to Bath, go to Bath. Brilliant. Yeah, I can't wait. No chance of you going to a, a Bristol game on Friday? Yeah, no, I'm not going to be at the Bristol game, but it, basically I think it's going to be Paris or bust. Paris or nothing. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Are they, they're they not going to waste their top talent on a, on a, um, a, a lesser European competition, no? You know, yeah, of course, exactly. Definitely not. Exactly that. Yeah. No, because there's two games in France, uh, um, it's sort of... I think there's a bit of a bun fight for, for what games and who can do what, because we, then we might not... No, people may not be able to go to France. That's the... That's the situation. That's a good yeah. point. I, I did notice in today's, on the Sunday, uh, BT Sport coverage in the studio, because um, Dublin's in lockdown now, mm. Brian, Brian O'Driscoll was just a floating head. Yeah. The, they just wheeled a TV in between Craig Doyle and Rory Best. Well, it's, you know, it's not a bad idea. To be honest, I'm, I'm kind of down with that, which is the whole point of these great sporting events or their events and the cities are brilliant and whatnot. If it's on, it's on lockdown. You may as well sit in your son's bedroom and do it <laughs> on the if, gaming uh, chair. The, the, the strange one was, I, I, I um, one of your favorite guys and I, I love him as a bloke, Stephen Ferris, but he was on the channel four coverage today and they were doing Toulouse versus Ulster coverage. The pre- presenting team at Sandy park. Ah, uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Because yeah. they couldn't go to Toulouse, they would. Yeah, of course. They, 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 they basically went all the way to Sandy Park to stand in an empty Sandy Park on the pitch to do the coverage of Toulouse v Ulster. Strange awesome. times we're living in, it, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Definitely. So we're saying Saracens to lose, sadly. Exeter to win. 
Bristol. What are you stepping on them? Uh, I'm saying I'm saying a Saracens Exeter final. Ooh, um, Ooh that's uh, not exactly what we discussed. What I'd, well, no, what I would like is Saracens Exeter final. Saracens now being under the salary cap, and I would like the game at Sandy Park as they're the top ranked team in the competition, and therefore it is a total ding dong. There's no excuses. There's no hiding places. Here Just we go. Scra- scrap it out. Yeah. I had, I had a great conspiracy theory today uh, from a friend of mine. He was hoping, uh, well, it was a conspiracy theory. He's hoping this, this would uh, happen, which is Saints could be exited today with a Nickazikwe try. And then he rips off his uh, Northampton shirt to reveal a... A Saracen shirt un- underneath with <laughs> "Screw You, Tony Rowe" on the back, where, like, like where the name is. <laughs> what I did like was um, uh, interviewing Ben Earl for the Man of the Match on Friday night. He still he referred to Bristol as we, and he referred to Saracens still as we. That's fair enough. He's a member of both clubs, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and Hugo made the point today that. He he may have played enough games to qualify if Saracens were to win the Champions Cup to qualify for a Champions Cup medal, and he may get a Challenge uh, Cup medal. Amazing! Oh, that would be amazing. Yeah, that is incredible. I hope he does. Yeah, that would be brilliant. <sighs> what a weird season! Right, let's leave it there. You get back back on the road, Tim. Oh, well, there's one more bit of news this week that we, we've got to cover. Oh, gone. Big news, and. I was delighted to see that Steve Diamond, Simon Orange, et al. Fi- oh. Finally saw sense. They they realised <laughs> their plans were Id- idiotic, harmful, dangerous, and they have. Um, it looks like they are going to be withdrawing their... Well, the council have withdrawn their support and it looks like they will be unable to build their yeah. monstrosity, their egregious, heinous, disgusting act of destruction uh, 400 metres from my house. Yeah, so uh, let's just get the facts a little bit straight. straight on, on, I, I think uh, we've on, covered on all of the facts there, JP. Um, <laughs> you know, we are in difficult times at the moment. COVID-19 is obviously making things very, very tricky for everyone jobs are scarce this isn't really a story about steve diamond and uh, simon orange although tangentially it is it's about weasel politicians bending to inside interests and, <laughs> and pressure groups i mean frankly you should all be very grateful that simon steve and the entire incredible team at sale want to put their money where their mouth is contribute to the community but no nimbies and pressure groups, external interests, have basically influenced the whole thing to make sure that no jobs are, are created, no construction g- goes on, and, well, I guess you'll reap what you sow. Yes, it's a will. tough one in the sense that, um, and this is, you know, going into Phil's area of expertise, but when you, when you build what, on lobbying? Brown, <laughs> well, when you build on brownfield sites, which is what the people have said should be done instead of a, a bit of green belt or whatever, but the problem is that's when you get the AJ Bell Stadium. And it's uh, what the, the one thing I would say for the plan they had is I, I love travelling around and I'm very fortunate and I feel I'm very grateful to be able to go to rugby games. When you have a rugby ground in embedded within the community, it's 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 incredible. Not Phil's community though. 
No, I, I would be very for embedding it in the community, just slightly further away from my house and away from all of those, those pre- the, the precious wildlife that live in that, that floodplain, the green belt, the area of outstanding, outstanding natural beauty that is um, the Crossford Bridge. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm yeah, kind of got, with Phil yeah, on this. I, I, to, you're right, to one side you've got a lovely vista of the M60 motorway and, <laughs> and then if you turn around about 180 degrees you get a lovely vista of the tram line going by and then you know the, the th- one of the third vistas is of the main arterial road going in and out of Manchester to Altrincham. Yeah, so Chester it's a, Road, it's a, real, road. it's a real area of outstanding beauty, right? <laughs> so, I mean, we live right... All three of us live right by Charlton Meadows, and I would happily build on any part of the meadow. I, I Actually, Charlton Meadows would be a great place to build a stadium for me. And Charlton Meadows sounds, sounds like a pretty good stadium name as well. It does. It's well, just, they, that, they, they tried to build something... Charlton, mate, you're right, actually. The, the, the location of that is amazing. Um, and uh, but Gary Neville, Gary Neville tried to yeah. tried to have a build a university. university college built there with loads of playing fields and stuff. And again, NIMBYs there said no. We want that. We want that big field next to all of the other massive fields. Yeah, we our, we want to stifle education so we can walk our Labradors. That that's <laughs> disgusting. That that I would love it to be built there. I'd love Sales Stadium to be built there. It's just far. Now you've moved far, out of Chilton, you would love it you, to be built there. Exactly, and it's just it, I can I can be there in like I can walk there in like fifteen minutes, uh, just over the Mersey, un, under the motorway. It'd be brilliant yeah. in that location. <laughs> uh, I, I can't express my disappointment in the local. It, you know, it's like an episode. Of, it's like an episode of The Wire. <laughs> it really is these corrupt council I mean I hope every member of the council that went back on the decision goes to jail <laughs> I, I think a bad jail personally I think it's the influence of Phil and uh, and of the Egg Chasers podcast and the same How, I don't want to be I, I don't don't want to be li- uh, linked to this in any way <laughs> well you can maybe be linked to the fact that the uh, the former Prime Minister in some memoirs that have come out the former Prime Minister David Cameron is mad for a Negroni, apparently. Is that oh, right? Yeah. We got sent that a few times, didn't we? Well, he's got exceptional taste, what can I say? Remarkable taste. Yeah. Right, uh, you get you get on the road, Tim. Uh, I'll nice tell one. all our wonderful listeners where you can find us, which is on Twitter, at jbeardmore, at... Co- uh, sorry, at Cocker. It is at... At Cocker, uh, at Rugby Podcast, and Phil will be lurking in your DM. Subscribe if you're not if you haven't already, and look out for us in your feed because we'll be back next Sunday with all the action from the European quarterfinals. So from me, Phil, and Tim, let the boys play. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.